into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Did that, did that work? Did it make you feel better? Yeah, I feel better now. That was Chris Pratt as Mario. Are we recording? Yeah, it's, we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This is what the whole show is like. Okay, let's talk about Chris Pratt as Mario. I do not like that they cast a Christian as Mario. It does track. He is Italian. He's probably Catholic. Mm-hmm. He probably celebrates Pokrov. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, but I don't like Chris Pratt because, in my opinion, right, you get these fucking guys. They start off as like a goofball, like a lovable uh, comedic relief on like Parks and Recreation, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Mouse Rat. Yeah, I like Mouse Rat. Oh, the band, yes. Next thing you know, bam, zero dark 30, right? Suddenly he's a good old boy. He's dropping fucking bombs on brown people and shit. He's but he's likable and he's making doing zero dark thirty, doing the Iraq war palatable. And then you go, what was that switcheroo all about? And you find out he's like, you know, being funded by mega church people and shit. Mm-hmm. He's from that world. He's a Christian freak. I'm interjecting to say I don't see how this relates to Mario. Continue. <laughs> I just don't like that they made this guy Mario. <laughs> yeah, Chris Pratt's a real bastard, but <laughs> the main thing is I don't like I don't like Jack Black as Bowser either. Oh, it's not was... even that he's doing a bad job. It's just Bowser shouldn't talk so much. Jack Black is Bowser. Yeah, he he, he shows up and he's like, don't, don't make me burn the whole place down. Can I don't rock your fucking socks off. I'm gonna butt stomp. It's weird that he talks at all. I think the other didn't speak English. Bowser's it's a beast. Here's here's a way that they could have properly done this wonderful cartoon program is you have Bowser go and then subtitles pop up like it's an intelligent oh, French film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also want that for Mario. I want Mario to speak some foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> Mario just speaks German for some reason. Well, speaking of Not even Italian. I am curious. Do we know... How Mario feels about the March on Rome. I don't know how Mario feels about much of anything. Very controversial views on the chosen people, if you catch my drift. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go to the Olympics three times, you stop seeing yourself as one of, you know, normal people. You think you're better than other people. And I kind of think that's all gone to his head. You said Mario's been to the Olympics three times? Yeah, with Sonic. Huh? Are you silly? Really? Mario and Sonic have gone to the Olympics and they've competed. Not and at what event would you guess they compete in? Ring jumping. All of them. They do all of the whole Olympics by themselves with their friends. Is that a game I don't know about? Yes, it's Mario and Sonic go to the Olympics, and there's a bunch of them. That's like that could cause like universal chaos, right? Because they're from two different worlds. Yeah, there's national tensions in a way, kind of reminiscent (laughs) of the Iran uh, conflict, you know, when uh, with all the 
Jewish also, kidnappies or whatever. When the when the Mario Olympics come to a, a city, they displace all of the people in the tents into tent cities and yeah. massively devastate the entirety of Rio de Janeiro or whatever. They destroy the hedgehog population. Yeah, they move all the Pikmin around. Yeah, it's neither sad. here nor there. But the point is, this movie is an abomination. <laughs> And I will absolutely end up seeing it and squeezing content out of it because this is what I do with my life. These you know, are the choices I've made. How many people do you think are going to take mushrooms and go watch it? Because that occurred to me just now, and Wahoo. I got really excited. Uh, Percentage-wise? <laughs> yeah. 1%? <laughs> just uh, dirt bags in uh, cities, probably? <laughs> I want to do that. I'm going to do it. Um, I've never had a good mushroom experience. I love Because they make my tummy upset. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I'm tripping, but I feel ill. <laughs> well, now you know how Mario feels all the time. Yeah, that's why yeah. he gets so big. His job's not easy. You know his last name is Mario? I do know that. Yeah. I know. Before you ask me any question about Mario, I know about it. <laughs> Fine. Welcome to the show. It's Pod Day of America for another week. Hello! The number one Mario podcast. Looking at Anders right now, watching him try to figure out how to do this. Well, I, I'm thinking of as you do the Chris Pratt, which is like. Wahoo. What? Yeah, it's just like a high-pitched voice. A high, like I, I already closed the window. I want to play it again. I well, should have that sound isolated. It. Someone leaked the French version, and in the French version, he sounds like Mario. So it's weird that they would make this specific decision for the English one him not to sound like the Mario that we all know and love. In order to sell a movie, you need to attach a star, which will inherently like damage the product you are creating every time. Because they have to shoehorn Chris Pratt into goddamn Mario to sell it. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> and then they're like, Chris Pratt, we're not going to ask you to do voices. That would be stupid. Just kind of talk like you talk. Right? How mad is the guy, though? You know the guy who does the Mario voice, right? He has like his own fucking yeah, Mario. YouTube channel and shit. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, he's got like a great story about how like they plucked him out of obscurity. And he just sort of like went home and he did research. And he was like, what do Italian people sound like? And then he came up with this <laughs> fucking thing. When I was growing up. My teachers said I would never be Mario. <laughs> Look at me now. So this would have Mario been, Sunshine. <laughs> this would have been like in the 90s, because Mario goes back to the 80s, but he didn't really speak until N64, right? Something, something like that, yeah. That's right, Anders. <laughs> Maybe the cartoons or something. That's right, Anders. But it's been this one guy, so for them to make this movie like without him is, I don't know, it's kind of insulting. Yeah. It's very rude. Well, did you hear who's going to play Georgia or uh, Peach? Who? Georgia Maloney. I stepped, Is on, that I stepped true? on that. God damn. Georgia Peach played by Georgia Maloney. <laughs> right. Georgia Peach. Georgia Peach. There you, there you go. go. Is she supposed to be Italian? No, I realize we've talked about this woman extensively. Her name is not Georgia. Is yes, it is. <laughs> what? I've known. Uh, well, I mean, Georgia, there's a, there's a whole country in Eastern Europe. I know Georgia, that. And there, it's an Italian name. I've, I've known a Georgia. Okay. He's Italian. You've known I just felt Georgia. like we were calling her a different name last week. They, it's like Georgia. Georgia. Okay. All right. I give. I don't want to talk about this woman ever again. Uh, we, we're interviewing somebody running for Congress today. <laughs> so we have a lot of good stuff to get into. Number one, uh, bring your nugs to the White House because it's time to spark one with dank <clears throat> President Joe Biden. I saw this story break in real time on Twitter yesterday as I was staring at my phone at some dumb thing. And we're very important press people. 
Uh, we, we get it was cutting leaked, updates. It was leaked to us. All weed-related <laughs> news. I hate to always be, like, a sour puss about shit like this, but, like, as soon as it happened, I was just like, okay, we've all been through this. Don't get too excited. The other shoe is going to drop. I don't know how, but it will. Like, the sa- they walked back a bunch of the fucking student loan shit. Uh you know, we all got excited over that, and then it turns. They're out. also doing. Biden is mandating that they redo Mad Men with Chris Pratt. They're all the characters. <laughs> he put Chris Pratt in all the bad movies. Um, I don't think about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I think it's been twenty four hours almost, and it's like people have figured it out already. Okay, it's really simple. Um, he the specific language they used is that. Anyone arrested for possession in like a, a federal way, like as a federal offense, right? Uh, at at national parks in certain areas, like Washington <laughs> D.C. Yeah, is is going to be uh, what do you call it? Pardoned. Um, their sentence commuted. Their crimes recognized and absolved by the state. <laughs> so there's two things about that, right? One is that no one is arrested. Federally, everyone is arrested, especially for weed. They're arrested by state. You're arrested at the local and state level. And a lot of times with other charges. And that's the other thing is that by design, the way the drug war works is like when you get arrested for having some weed in your pocket, they throw the whole fucking book at you because like they want something to stick. So they charge you purposely with like 20 fucking things. Every time you get nabbed for having like a fucking dime bag in your pocket or whatever. First and foremost, if you have enough of any drug, it's just automatically you're a drug czar or whatever the fuck you're, you're intending to distribute. Let's write this down. Assault of a bag. Yeah. Putting drugs in it. (laughs) So no one gets charged specifically with, possession so just those two things right off the bat render this like completely feckless but everyone got really excited so it's exciting when he does things by executive order is what it is because no one has any faith in like congress and senate to just pass a bill to create progress but the uh, executive office is so bloated and uh, uh, uh juiced up with power from the Obama administration and Bush administration that like there is a lingering hope that maybe we can sneak through good things by just, Oh, maybe it's the midterms. Maybe he'll give us a good thing. The way that this happened was very funny because it was, we're pardoning people with marijuana offenses, federal marijuana offenses. Uh, and, and the, the wording on it, the first time uh, I saw it was, there may be as few as 500 of them. And then there was an update to the article. It turns out there are zero people currently <laughs> <laughs> with just federal marijuana charges. I knew We're officially was, pardoning zero people. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I knew something was up when he's, because he said, this will help thousands of people. And I was like <laughs> thinking in my head, all this, all, everything I've ever read about the drug war, I was like, should it be like tens of thousands or like hundreds of thousands? Wait, wait, wait. 
It's like a lot of people. So even if it was just like a few thousand, that's still not very much. You know much. this wasn't his idea, too. Yeah. Clearly. Well, I mean. This man hates drugs. Right. right. He's got like a Jackie Chan versus his son idea of marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> He's ready to start shooting offenders in the streets. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's the architect of the crime bill. But also like after he got elected, like a year ago, he was saying like, we're not going to do this. He, he fired people who had been uh, hired to work at the White House. And then they test. And then they just. They were asked on their questionnaires, do you smoke weed? And they were like, I forgot uh, about right. that. That was yeah. one of the first stories. How yeah. mad would yeah. you be if you were that person right, right. now? Some of them, one yeah. of them like retweeted, like, do, <laughs> do I, I get, get my job back? <laughs> Can I work at the White House again? <laughs> I mean, at least. No, criminal. <laughs> it's a- Can I have my job back? It's that guy. (laughs) I mean, it does. You could have your job back if you uh, smoked that weed in a national park. (laughs) If you did it at the Washington Monument, you are allowed to come back. It does. There are a lot of people, or I mean, some people who um, had previously, it's on their record. And so that that this gets expunged. So I guess it's it's good for them. It's still an important like step. It's nice, yeah, but like, but the, but the, what you're saying is like, like, it looks like, you know, you see the headline and it's like, well, Biden, base Biden, dark Brandon. Um, but it's this model of like Obama. I, I feel like there are two models for Democratic presidents in the modern era. You're either like Bill Clinton, where you just take Republican bills and make them slightly less bad and then take credit for like doing well, cutting people off welfare. Or you do the Obama-Biden model, which is to take, like, a progressive thing, like giving people health care, and make it look really good. But then when you look at the details— Not do it. Yeah, it just, like, (laughs) moves shit around and maybe helps some people, but also just makes everything a more confusing mess. Yeah, the Obama-Biden method is, like, the taking really selective pictures on your dating app profile type (laughs) thing. Or, like, the way that the food looks on the menu versus when you get it. Kind of shit. They're calling yeah. it federal duck face. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you, do you think anybody? Do you think state legislatures are going to follow suit on this? Because th- this is the one thing he keeps doing is like, while I'm not specifically pardoning anyone, I encourage state governments to pardon well, them. Right. What does that mean? Like, I remember mean- when he was uh, when he was complaining about the gas price hikes, and he was like. While I'm not going to nationalize energy companies, I think they should consider not charging so much. And it's like, this is not politics. You, yeah. like, think you're a company's dad right now. It's very strange. Yeah, you're the most powerful person in the world, and you're just, like, suggesting things. I mean, certainly no Republican governors are going to do anything with this, right? Like, I was thinking, like, oh, cool. I'm from Texas. Oh, Greg Abbott, you <laughs> fucking bullshit. I mean, maybe if Beto wins, but I don't think he's going to win. Um, You're going to start burning drug offenders as if they are weed to make a point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, like, one of the great kind of inconsistencies or whatever with between the Republicans and the Democrats or whatever. That's what they're called. Folks. That, like, with the abortion, with like, overturning Roe versus Wade. Republican like state governments have these like bills that were already like set up to, you know, to be triggered by that. And like everything just gets knocked over domino style as soon as some shit happens. But like, there's no, that, that doesn't exist for marijuana legalization, right? There's not like a fucking, uh, a bunch of those weird trap card things set in place to like, 
the governor of fucking whatever, uh, Vermont or some shit, isn't like, finally, we get to legalize weed. They didn't want to do this in the first place, right? Well, well I think California, like, what I, but I don't know what's going to happen because um, I think you have to take away the federal law because up until recently, I know this has been happening up, up until recently. I don't know how much it, it still happens, but, like, um, there are there will be, like, uh, f- the state will say this is legal, and then the DA, the federal justice department, will still like raid facilities with with marijuana and stuff. It's like this gray area that they don't know how to sort out. I don't know if Biden is even gonna fully go ahead with um, codifying the law as marijuana is completely legal for recreational purposes. If he's even gonna deschedule it, uh, we just don't know. I mean, if it's anything like his environmental or uh, debt relief uh, uh, orders. He's just going to receive some pushback and then not actually do it. Um, (laughs) To that point about the like federal versus state shit in like Colorado where people like first started becoming um, actual business tycoons legally on the state level. I'm a legal tycoon. All this really crazy shit happened where like uh, they figured out that they weren't allowed to deposit any of the money in a bank because then <laughs> the federal government could come after it. This so pe- is purely mattress money. People would have like these compounds with like stacks of like Breaking Bad style like dollar bills, <laughs> and then they would get broken into by like other you know drug cartel people and like people with commando gear. And I shit. hear there's a money factory <laughs> down the street. <laughs> yeah. It's like such a dumb situation. I do think that's the final form of America. Is just like. Empty buildings full of dollar bills <laughs> with like full SWAT teams battling out inside of them. It's the fucking franchise thing we talked about last week with uh, what pop was it Popeyes or whatever where the like people were pissed off. Oh yeah, that it the, was Popeyes. The they, franchise right. wasn't obeying the the national level federalism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what we're talking about is federalism, folks. <laughs> I am owed a, a freaking biscuit for my chicken sandwich. I don't care what it says on the board. It's only right they give me one. I know it's been a week. I still want it. I could have given you my biscuit. I don't want your biscuit. <laughs> I want my rights as an individual respected and to be delivered the biscuit that I received with a meal I purchased. Maybe they're looking out for you because that's a ton of carbs. It I mean, costs like about. six cents to make a biscuit. I always get sick of the biscuit by the time I'm finished eating it. So I considered like, you know, almost leaning over going, hey, what if I cut my biscuit in half and then Anders cuts his biscuit in half? We just give that's, you. That's a full biscuit. I just, it's the principle. We could even, we could even cut it horizontally. So you wouldn't even notice. We've just discussed I'm <laughs> dying of biscuit disease you. and shouldn't be eating any of these things, but I can't help myself. I demand my rights. Uh, yeah. Um, well, if you are somehow arrested for smoking weed at the grave of the unknown soldier, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> That's a federal offense. So in DC, I guess this affects people in DC kind of. Yeah, just encouraging crimes. Which this is what he's doing out I, there. I do actually wonder if it's going to be continuous <laughs> and if he's just going to like, well, that was just for people who did it previously. From now on, we're just going right back. Right, because it's a pardon. It's just a yeah. one-time thing. So it doesn't really affect anyone because like, if your life has been ruined for the last like 20 years by the drug war, you get one thing expunged. You're like, thanks. I live in a gutter because of this. I can't get a fuck. I'm and I know I already said this, but it is a pardon for zero people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the October surprise is a special pardon for no one. <laughs> well, well, zero people are getting out of prison, right? But like, yeah. you can have like you can you get you can your, go 
get a job or something now? I guess if you have... But then it's like no one has just possession on their record. All those people work at Dave's Killer Bread now anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. Yeah. Don't email me about this. Fucking Brandon, man. <laughs> what a god damn it. You gotta respect him. He delivers. This is on becoming his like a like a like a we're gonna remember his presidency like this. Remember how he faked us out every week? <laughs> you know? Oh gotcha, Brandon. It's like a fucking deadbeat dad that came home with like a fake Nintendo sixty four for you every fucking week. Because <laughs> two Sega Genesis is taped together. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do this? It's yeah. more expensive than if you just got an N64. <laughs> no, he's just got, he's dumb and he got duped at the flea market. And it's like actually one of those fucking things that plugs USB style into your, your TV and there's like three games on it. And oh, he's like, yeah. it's a PS5. Yeah. This is what you wanted, right? Look at Pong. <laughs> blop, blop, <laughs> blop. That's what Pong sounds like. Yeah, I remember video games. Hey, I'm Chris Pratt, and I'm playing Pong. <laughs> I'm the voice of Pong. Do you think he's ever played a video game, Joe Biden? Joe Biden, no. Absolutely not. He would not know. He'd be one of those guys that holds the controller. I was about to say, I would love the uh, the, uh, the 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 press outing he's doing to like get the youth vote, and he's holding the Xbox sideways or whatever. <laughs> like, Touchdown! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Points me. Is this is this what you wanted? I don't know where I am. He's being chased by the ghost from Pac-Man. <laughs> he's always looking off camera at something you can't see. He's just like they're trying to munch me. <laughs> All right, uh, it's about time to get to this interview. Andrew, set that up. Set oh, it up. Okay. Knock it down. Yes, uh, we. This happens every couple of years where we we are a political podcast, but we usually try to not interview politicians because it will be bad for them, right? Generally, which uh, except for this one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the exception. Yeah, he's you know it's a um, person running for Congress from the great state of Kentucky. Uh, who re- reached out to us because apparently he's a fan of the show. Yeah, and he listens to our show. Apparently. So he knows about like Smoothie Turd and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we did not ask him about Smoothie Turd. <laughs> I felt like he was smarter than me and I didn't want to embarrass myself. That's the name of his Republican opponent. Oh, that's right. Oh my goodness. Well, he's going to lose then because everybody loves Smoothie Turd. It's, yeah. Um, God damn, one hell of a lady. <laughs> so yeah, he's running for Congress in Kentucky. And um, is running in a deep, deep red district, but is putting up a fight. And uh, we also made sure to talk to them about a lot of important local, uh, especially environmental issues that are happening down there. So uh, without further ado, let's go to the tape. We are now joined by Connor Halbleib, who is running for Congress in Kentucky's 5th Congressional District. Connor, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I want to start with a question. Uh, we we don't at, uh, we don't interview political candidates very often, but when we do, I always like to ask them this toughie, which is, why are you running for office? Well, I'm running for a couple of reasons. I think uh, you know, one is that it's something that I've always been interested and passionate about. It's um, I've always been into politics, and um, it's just something that I've always enjoyed and felt that I could do well at. A two is that I think I've got a, a great platform that could actually improve the lives of people. Um, and three, I had the opportunity to do so. I think for a lot of people, even if they feel that they can't, or if they feel like they've got great ideas, they may not feel in their, at this point in their lives that they can, or 
you know, there's always a reason not to do it. But I was in a situation where I just finished law school and I didn't have a, a you know, I don't have kids. I'm not married yet. So there was an opportunity for, for me to put my ideas into practice. So I guess for all those reasons, I decided now was the time to run for office. And you're running in a district that has been held uh, by a Republican for quite a long time. Uh, what can you tell us about the incumbent and uh, what are some of the major differences you and he have? So my opponent's name is Hal Rogers, Harold Hal Rogers. He's uh, yes, he's been in office for a very long time. He's been in office since 1981 uh, and he is 84 years old currently. So there's over a 50 year age gap between me and him. Um and we can talk a little bit about him if, if you want. He is um, he has a certain level of control over the area, and he's done a very good job over the years of maintaining that control, uh, although things, I believe, are starting to, to slip away from him. So the race is an 85-year-old incumbent versus this is your first race? Yes, yes. Okay, and I just turned 30. Yeah. Nice. This is exciting. Okay. Yeah, some fresh, some fresh blood in uh, South, southeastern Kentucky. Um, which I, I wanted to ask you about the region. A uh, big part of your campaign is uh, the environment, specifically clean water, uh, which has been a very big issue in your neck of the woods. Uh, what can you tell us about the situation there um, with water and, and what you think should be done to fix it? Right. So like, like you said, this has been a big issue. And actually, surprisingly, clean water has become an issue uh, nationally in some other parts of the country, including places like Jackson, Mississippi. So it's actually getting a little more attention than uh, than I would have expected when I first started my campaign. Um, in places in my district, including the biggest one is uh, Martin County, Kentucky, um, there was an environment, there was a uh, coal sludge and slurry spill that occurred in the year 2000. We can point to the exact date where a, a slurry spill that was bigger than the Exxon Valdez spill occurred. And, uh, you know, 22 years later, people in Martin County still don't drink the tap water because uh, it comes out brown or comes out uh, with a distinct smell. And, you know, they cannot trust the the water that comes out of their tap. And uh, I chose this as kind of a big issue that I run on because, uh, you know, I think it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're progressive, liberal, centrist or, or right wing, it's, you know, every family wants to be able to have the water that comes out of their tap clean and being able to be able to drink and bathe with it. Uh, so it's it's been a hugely important issue and one that I believe that the current representative hasn't uh, hasn't succeeded in fixing. And what is sort of their response to it? Not only Rogers, but sort of the political establishment in the state as a whole. How do they how do they respond to the, the water crisis? Do they have any way of addressing it at all? Well, water is a difficult um, for a lot of times water is a difficult issue to pin down a politician on because, you know, we don't really know as ordinary constituents who's in control of our water. Should it be the local government, the state government? I believe the federal government should play a big role. Uh, a lot of the impact, the you know health impacts don't show up till years later in, in terms of, uh, you know, cancer rates and things like that. Um so that's kind of the big thing is that everyone just pushes it off to to someone else. You re really don't know, you know, <laughs> you know, who's right to, to blame. Um, the other thing that happens with uh, situations like this is uh, it gets very pricey because uh, the system in the counties or the water systems are not designed for the amount of people or, or their their older systems. And so the, uh, people in Martin County actually spend more on their water than almost any other place in Kentucky. To, uh, regardless of how bad their water system is. And the only way that the government really has to 
quote unquote, solve this issue is to turn to privatization. Mm. Uh, they say, if we, if we uh, privatize this this system, it'll be better for you, it'll be cheaper. And uh, as kind of you all probably uh, realize as well, privatizing uh, big systems like water and utilities isn't, isn't necessarily the best way to go, but that's the only solution that uh, politicians today seem to have to deal with these issues. Right. I've certainly heard that story before about privatization usually does not go well, at least for the people drinking the water. Um, goes very well for the companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said you wanted more federal involvement. Um, what, what would that entail? Is there a role for perhaps public ownership too of um, like local control of these systems? Well. Absolutely. So I think federal control or federal ownership, sorry, federal responsibility really can show itself immediately after some sort of environmental impact. Like I said, there's a specific uh, specific event that occurred in the year 2000. Uh, a place like Martin County is not going to have the resources to deal with a massive environmental uh, catastrophe like that. So it's in, incumbent on the federal government to bring as much money and resources into the areas to, you know, quote unquote, stop the bleeding. And then it's up to uh to us as 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 a commonwealth, you know, as Kentuckians, to take control over that system to maintain the day to day operation of it. So I think the the best way to do it again is to have uh, local control, controlled by the people, and then in cases of emergencies where huge financial in, you know outlays are needed, uh, that's the job that the federal government can do. That state governments and local governments, which are already cash strapped, uh, can't handle emergencies like that. So it's a combination of those two things can solve a lot of these issues. Yeah, one I remember um, one solution is is community land trusts or a trust fund for uh, water supplies, tr- trying to repair them. Um, so that's that's certainly good to hear that you have a, a, a plan of attack there. Um, another question, environmentally related, is uh, coal. Is is your area in particular is a is the coal industry a major player there, and how do you feel about a, a transition uh, away from coal to, to cleaner technologies? Uh, coal is absolutely a major player in the in the region. You know, uh, it is it is what you think of when you think of kind of stereotypical Kentucky coal miners. That's that's this, this area. So it plays both a part economically, a major part economically, but even more so a major part politically. So even though coal companies don't um, they don't hire as many workers now as they used to uh, with the profits and, and everything else still growing. Um, they have huge political political influence. So I, I take it, you know, I say right off the bat that I'm for a Green New Deal. Now, how a Green New Deal would look in a place like Kentucky may be different than uh, a place in, in California or a place in Nebraska or anywhere else. You know, we still in Kentucky get 90 percent of our electricity comes from coal. So it's just it's just a more difficult kind of longer term task of transitioning to uh, renewable energies or even nuclear energy, which I'm I'm actually for. Uh, it's just you just have to be honest with people and say, hey, I'm 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 for the Green New Deal. I mean, people in Kentucky know, uh, even those who who support coal, they know that it's not a long term viable uh, solution. So you just have to attack that subject head on and say, hey, the way we implement something like the Green New Deal in Kentucky is just going to be a little more complex and take take probably a little bit longer than some other places. Uh, and people seem to be even people who aren't, you know, Democrats or anything like that. They they seem to they understand that, and that's just that's how I approach that. Right, and I'm I'm curious how this uh, message is received by industry workers because there's kind of a trope that like the second you mention. Uh, any kind of transition, they're going to close off their ears and, and tell you to get out. But um, 
one thing I've heard is that the the feelings are a lot more mixed among uh, co-workers than we might think about about a transition. Uh, what has your experience been talking directly to people who work in coal now about a transition? I think the thing is, you know, like you said, it's it's um, it's it's complex, and for a lot of people, coal is not just a way to make good money, which it, which it is in you know certain cases, but it also brings a sense of pride and a sense of you know uh, to a community and a sense of, of people needing you, and uh, you know people take like I said, take a lot of pride in that. So. The way you do it is you basically say, hey, we, we need to transition away from this. However, we are going to combine that with offering you uh, not just some sort of token, um, you know, minimum wage job or something, but say we're going to put some real money and real investment into into this community or into this area. Uh, you just you combine both of those things together and people can see it. And that also means as um, as someone, you know, if I was was to be elected into Congress, there's access to um kind of a lot of money for a lot of different, uh, you know, different projects to help communities get on their feet. But you also need to uh, kind of take away the return on investment aspect of things. Sometimes, you know, a place like Eastern Kentucky, if we transition away from coal and, you know, towards something else, we're going to have to put a lot of uh, money into the area without actually expecting a lot of financial return right off the bat. And so I say, hey, a, a transition from coal is included with things like infrastructure, uh, to the area with things like I talk about, you know, free college. Uh, I talk about, you know, uh, taking away all student debt, taking away all medical debt, uh, you know, Medicare for all. If you combine all those things together, then the kind of sting of the threat of losing a coal job doesn't really hit hit as hard. Um, so we've been talking a lot about water this interview. And you know what else is a form of water is a massive destructive flood. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Kentucky's had some experience with that so far this year, and I'm wondering, has the impact from that affected maybe the average voter's response to environmental reform or what have you? What, on the ground, what's what's your take of it? I think uh, so. The flooding happened in in kind of late, very late July going into August, and it was a natural, you know, a, a natural disaster like anything else. But people also saw that uh, the impact of the flooding was exasperated by uh, policies that had occurred just to appease the coal industry. So for example, this flooding wasn't just, I like to call it like a passive flooding where you start seeing water leak into your basement and you've got time to be like, Hey, I probably need to get out and uh, you know, take some stuff with me. This was an aggressive flood that came very, very quickly, much faster than and at, and at night, much faster than people could, you know, safely remove themselves from their houses. And that was due in part to uh, coal silt, pond deposits that occurred on the top of the mountains or mountaintop removal and things like that it took place so those silt deposits trapped all that water up there on top of the mountains until it basically the sandbag fell over and it all fell fell down at once um and people see that and that uh that that, that this wasn't just a natural disaster right and and so like that is the the feeling you're getting on the ground there is um Maybe a lot of anger about that because it, it's a it, it. I don't I don't know the specific statistics, but it is cur currently a, a Republican district, and I'm wondering if maybe this is going to have a big uh, playoff during during the race, in your opinion, or if in general this is uh, shaking up the game at all. Well, it definitely, um, you know, it it definitely uh, brought a sense of anger and a sense of you know who's responsible, you know for this and how are we going to fix this? Because one of the big issues now is long-term housing. 
So the federal government came in um, right after the flood and set up some uh, kind of non-permanent temporary housing for people. But like I said, with the aggressiveness of the flood, it took a lot of people's houses off the foundation. And so there's going to be some real impact of, you know, people, there's gonna be a lot of people who are not in their normal houses come November. And it, you know, people have been talking about that. And it's kind of the big issue in the area every, every time I talk to people. So it definitely is getting into people's minds that, um, that the person who may be in charge for 40 plus years and has the highway named after him that runs through the area may not have the best answers to solve uh, problems today. Right. If the buck had to stop somewhere, it would probably be at someone who's been in local control for 40 years. Yeah. If you want to, you know, he is very good at um, saying that all good things that come into the area are because of him. Uh, he, you know, if, if any sort of money comes to the area, he puts his name in the receipt and says, look, look how much many millions I brought to you. But that also means if you want that level of control that, like you said, if something like this happens, the buck stops with you. You should be you were he was in office 20 years by the time that that uh, the Martin County incident happened. And it's been over 20 years since then. Uh, you know, I'd like to say if I was in office anywhere for 20 years, I would have cashed in every political favor I ever had to make sure that the people of my district had access to clean water. And uh, and I think this flooding is another example of that, that, you know, you have all this power. Let's see, utilize it and actually fix our problems. And the, and the one federal agency that's that's supposed to deal with this stuff, uh, FEMA, um, what what is their response been? Has it been anywhere near adequate? Uh, I don't think any response has been near adequate. They have been in the area and, and President Biden did uh, visit the area. And like I said, FEMA has been uh, their presence has been known and they ha- they have. Uh, put up some temporary housing, which I, I think is good. And I think we should do more of that. And I don't fault them for that. But, uh, you know, this is one of those things where they'll only be around as long as there's attention to it. And the long-term effects are going to last a lot longer than the attention might last in this area. So even then they put up some temporary housing and they've actually fixed some, some water pipes that were destroyed in the flooding. Um, it's, it's, it's nowhere near uh, adequate. And uh, it's just it's just hard to do that. Uh, Well, I also want to ask about the Democratic Party in Kentucky, because for a long time, the playbook there has kind of been, it it seems uh, from an outsider's perspective, kind of the same as it as it's been everywhere, as you run uh, as far to the right as possible and try to meet Republicans in the middle. Uh, Amy McGrath is a great example of that. Somebody whose campaign went down in flames and was raising money to the bitter end. Um, but you're taking out a, a different approach, and it's not just you. There's also the Senate nominee um, on the Democratic side, Charles Booker, is running a more progressive uh, type of race. And um, one of your, I guess, uh, fellow candidates, fellow nominees, Jeff Young, who's a, a died-in-the-wool Marxist-Leninist, who's also running uh, for Congress in Kentucky. Um, what, what, what's going on there with uh, with the Democratic Party? Is there is there a attention um boiling over between progressives and or leftists and uh moderates and and liberals or what's what's sort of happening in that uh with that dynamic well kentucky is one of these uh southern states that had a historically like you said very conservative democratic party and a democratic party that got a lot of people elected for a very long time actually this year one of the big um stories within the state of kentucky is for the first time ever there are more registered republicans than there are democrats so that has kind of put some fear into the Democratic Party uh, in the state. Uh, as far as kind of the difference between, you know, uh, candidates such as myself and Charles Booker and then the more uh, mainstream, even conservative Democrats, uh, 
you know, I, I'm I, I very, uh, I talk, I talk to them a lot and, you know, a lot of them are very nice, but there is a sense that they don't really understand uh, if they want to, if the democratic party wants to succeed where it needs to go. Um, you know, I, I, I just naturally am, am a progressive, uh, very strong progressive and a very left-leaning Democrat. But even if I wasn't, uh, you know, if I tried to run as a centrist Democrat and right now in the state with the Republican party being so um, in one way effective and in another way, very strong in their positions. Uh, if I ever tried to run like a diet Republican, why would anyone ever vote for me when they could, when they could get the real thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I don't think it makes sense politically. And like you said, there's, there's a, a, a bubbling up of some real progressive and, and very uh, left-leaning ideas coming from the both the people on the on the on the on the ground and the uh, some people in the party itself and some people have decided to run, which is another reason why I decided to run now, is that I saw that there was um, you know ever since you know Bernie Sanders uh, destroyed Hillary Clinton in the uh, 2016 primary in the state, even though the state's primary was so late, it really didn't matter. Um, so th- there's something here and it's just, how, do, how do you harness, harness that energy? But there definitely is kind of a, a little bit of a split between some of the candidates and the establishment party. Yeah. And, and one thing that gets forgotten, um, especially in Kentucky is there's this history of, of labor radicalism, um, Harlan County, USA, a great, not only great documentary, but a great sort of, a, a incredible story. Um, I actually remember when Rand Paul was first running for office, in 2010, they asked him about that. Hey, we're going through Harlan County, you know, Harlan County, USA. And he's like, huh, what's that? <laughs> um, so a lot of this stuff has been sort of um, suppressed, it seems, or forgotten. Um, are you trying to tap into that about Kentucky's uh, sort of uh, radical um, past? And uh, I also want to ask you, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, local issues to Kentucky, but how do you see your uh, foreign policy as a, as a candidate for, for federal Congress. Right. So the, you know, the first thing you said about, um, I, I think Harlan County, you know, Harlan County USA is a, it's a great documentary and it, people do take a lot of pride in that. And I think a documentary like that can show maybe some people that uh, kind of labor issues, which I consider myself a staunch defender of labor rights. Um, it's, it's, you know, part of my, my platform and what I really fight for, uh, those may not necessarily correlate with the kind of cultural, uh, you know, more liberal understanding of how, you know, what liberalism or being on the left or whatever you want to call it is in like San Francisco. So, you know, you can have someone who drives a pickup truck or, or something and still be, or and maybe not have the, maybe not be woke, <laughs> but you still want to fight for them. And, and and through labor is a really good opportunity to, to reach people who you didn't think you could necessarily reach. Um, so yes, that's a huge part of it. And again, people take a lot of pride in that. And uh, in Eastern Kentucky, especially, there is that history of labor and organizing and to, you need to tap into that in order to uh, connect with the communities. Uh, as far as the my foreign policy, I keep it very simple. I, I say that, um, you know, especially like, let's say for the Russia, Ukraine, uh, you know, war that's going on right now, I say it doesn't really matter what your, you know, position is on a very kind of messy issue like that. It's not to be pro-Russia or pro-Ukraine, but what is going to be your position on the, you know, millions of people who will be displaced from that, that war? And I say everyone should say, you know, they should be receiving refugee status and we should be welcoming people, uh, like that, no matter what, uh, you know, the United States has a he has a very long and like as you all know, very uh, dark history when it comes to foreign policy. I think probably the easiest thing to do 
from a foreign policy perspective is to say, you know, we are here to welcome uh, people who are disrupted from conflicts happening all over the world. And that's kind of where I place my, my foreign policy. Um, I think that's a, that's a, a the, the right thing to do. So you would say we need a little less of a, a maybe much less of a hand in in world affairs, the United States. Right. And the, the only issue that I have with some people who are on the left uh, or who claim to be on the left is, um, again, I, I think the big, the biggest thing to do is you can't, you can't be an isolationist. You can't say that we are not part of this global economy or we not part of the, a, a global world, which also means that we need to accept people who are fleeing from disaster areas. Uh, sometimes I see people who try to act like we're, uh, we can be an isolationist so we can block ourselves off from the rest of the world. We're a part of the rest of the world. Uh, but I, you know, I do not believe that we should be meddling in other people's affairs. It's kind of, uh, how do you draw that line? Right. Uh, well, last question. Uh, how do you uh, like your odds? Well, my odds are, are my odds. This is a, it's an, it's a R plus 33 district. I think last time I saw, but again, this guy is, um, there's, there's some benefits in running a race like this, meaning I can do whatever I want. I can try out things that other, uh, Campaigns can't really do it if it's more of a 50-50 race. You know, I can experiment with different strategies and tactics and talk to people the way I, I want to. But like I said, there's um he's not gonna be around for much longer. You know, he's 84 mm-hmm. now, 84, 85. Uh, you know, and he does not have any sort of successor in the wings. Uh, so he's not gonna be there much longer. And I will run this race as hard as I can. Uh and I'm trying to win, but if 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 for some reason I did not win this time, I'll be I'll be running again, and I'll I'll keep pushing that because, uh, like I said, he won't be around that much longer. And I believe that there are benefits in running. You know, there are two national parties in this country: uh, there's the Democratic Party and Republican Party. Uh, if you're if we're going to be a part of a national party, and if I believe in electoral politics, which I do, I mean I'm running for electoral position. Uh, we need to run people in every district that we possibly can, you know, have people see the Democratic Party as a winning party or have them see that there's an option wherever they live in this country. Um, so there are a lot of benefits to doing it. And like I said, I'm running to win this race and uh, and and do whatever I can. And I will continue to fight for the people of Eastern Kentucky, uh, even after November 8th, regardless of uh, the final outcome. All right. Well, Connor Halbleib, uh where can people find you? So uh, you can find me on my website. It's Connor, C-O-N-O-R, for the number four, Kentucky.com. And I'm also very active on uh, on Facebook and probably the most active on Twitter at Connor underscore Hallblight. You can find all my information uh, on my website, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us and good luck. Good thank luck. you. Thanks. Yeah, man. A flood. It destroyed everything. So good luck to him. Vote. And, vote and Connor. Go to get out there and vote your ass off for Connor Hubleib. 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 It was a sil- It was a quiet L. It's. It feels every time you say it, it feels like you're to say Connor Habib because he's That's yeah. a very similar name. Off mic, we did discuss how he was Wario Connor Habib. <laughs> I didn't want to say it on the show I hope because he wins. of all of our Mario discussion so far. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he wins, and then there's someone in what is he running for Senate? Congress. 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 Somebody in Congress that listens to our podcast. That'll be weird. More yeah. and more, we're slowly taking over the United States. <laughs> I guess there's like people in Congress that believe in QAnon and shit, though, so it won't be that weird. Don't take right. this away from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's people in Congress that listen to worse podcasts already. I think we could safely say. Yeah, for sure. Anyone who listens Probably. to true crime, true crime. 
Yeah. True. Yeah. Those people, True they're, they're animals. They're disgracing the, the victims of horrible murders. I hear and Jerry. And I take a stand against it. I hear Jerry Nadler listens to the Try Guys. So. <laughs> is Try Guys a podcast? What is it? it? I think it's like one of those things that's a bunch of shit. It, it, there is one part it's a of lifestyle. It that is a podcast. And I know this because I kind of have, you can't avoid this story that's been going around. I'm trying really hard. I read, and it keeps showing up. I read an, an anecdote from it that the uh, the really intense, like fashionable Asian guy on it, yeah. hates doing the podcast, <laughs> so he's often not on it because he just hates podcasting. You got to respect that. Yeah, but I think that means that they also do other shit like videos and stuff. I guess if you were really into fashion, you would probably want to be on video every chance you get. Yeah, I suppose so. And no, if you're no one not, be, yeah. you love podcasting like us. Yeah, I don't want anybody to see me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> my shirts are always not matching my shoes. Anyway, I, let's not get into that stupid fucking story. No. <laughs> we will never discuss the Try Guys. Wait, hold on. There's one thing about it that's really funny. <laughs> we just said. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot, I forgot. There's one that's too good. One of them said that they interviewed him about how the like how they've been doing since they fired their friend for being infidelous or whatever the fuck. To Breaking his, his covenant with God. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he said it's been affecting his bowel movements. What? So he's like. I think he was trying to say, like, oh, I've been sick to my stomach, but he said it like that, which means, like... He was I, trying to be funny. He was like, even my BMs have been hard. And I was like, what's up? You've been <laughs> you're taking gross shits because your friend cheated on his wife? <laughs> That's weird, man. Your organs are in rebellion from this? That shouldn't affect that part of your life at all. Is this what, like, American cultures could be like now? Just, like, intense moral scolding to the... Uh, 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 state of like physical un unrest yeah you know no I mean? roe versus wade's overturned everyone's fucking catholic we're like executing our friends for <laughs> breaking things that aren't even laws they're just in the bible and shit <laughs> anders if you covet my fucking wife <laughs> one more time i mean that you wouldn't have to do anything i would just be dead if i cheated on my girlfriend right. oh yeah no but then you just covet her though right my wife that oh, doesn't okay. exist if i think about her or if you get become jealous, I swear to God, we're having a Ooh. podcast meeting. If you covet one of Jake's possessions, his house or his spouse, so you could also covet his sweet no. apartment. <laughs> if I see you looking at Murray, like you wish, like you, you wish could, you had Murray, yeah. uh, you can count on that not being the case. Oh, that's true. <laughs> All right, because Anders has a deep fear of black cats, and that is chronicled on the show. Well, um, we got very distracted. Do you want to talk about this other thing before we close out here? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, we were talking Washington, D.C., where you can now um, sometimes smoke weed in very tightly regulated environments and uh, where yeah, Connor may be going to, to torch one up as a so, member of Congress. Yeah, that's um, one of the new rituals when you, when you get elected now. They call it a joint session. They make you do a beer bog. On just, the Capitol steps. Yeah. <laughs> Biden comes and smokes you out, hot boxes the room with you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but um, there is a chef in D.C. It was a big deal. I, didn't, I don't think I knew about him before I lived in D.C. Um, his name is somewhat similar to mine. His last name, anyway, is Andres, Jose Andres, who is sort of a knockoff. I would call him a knockoff Anthony Bourdain because there can really only be one. You know, we've got a lot of, like, tattooed chefs out there. Like, guys are into, like, punk rock. 
Yeah. But they also cook at a restaurant. <laughs> there are a million yeah, celebrity a chefs. So this is a yeah. hard stance to uphold. Right, but there's only one who I think is like the OG. I don't even know if he was inked. Bourdain? I think he Bourdain. has some cats. Yeah, he was inked. I don't even, I don't think Jose is, but he's like. He was like, gang affiliated. <laughs> he did heroin. If he did heroin without having tattoos, that's a weird move. Yeah. Um, but Jose I Andres. I only like needles for one thing. <laughs> he uh, Jose Andres is trying and I would say failing to uh, live up to the legacy of Bourdain and is like a globetrotter and tries to do all this like NGO shit. <clears throat> He's like organizes meals in disaster areas. He got $100 million from Bezos. Uh, and gave it just to the Ukraine crisis. Um, but he owns he owns a ton of restaurants, and they all have his name attached to them. There's like Mini Bar by Jose Andres, oh, yeah. The Bazaar by Jose Andres, Bazaar Meat by Jose Andres. Bazaar Meat. <laughs> I've always wanted to eat Bazaar Meat. <laughs> yeah, that's what was uh, Dahmer was cooking up. Um, but there's Hello. one by Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that's just called E with a tilde. I don't know how that's pronounced. What the fuck? Is that E? If it's with a tilde, it's E. Is it a tilde or is it an accent mark? It's, you tell me. Accento. That's an accent mark. Accent mark. Oh, the tilde is with a squiggle. That's right. Sorry. Uh, How how was that said? E. E. Oh, so it was E this whole time. (laughs) Uh, But he is like a big... Uh, well-known guy in the DC area, but he like right now there is a um, an effort which has been ongoing for a few years now to raise the minimum wage for tipped servers because like in a lot of cities, if you are a bartender or a server or someone who gets tips as part of your earnings, you are allowed to not be paid the minimum wage. You get like. Sometimes four dollars, three dollars, two dollars an hour. Yeah, I used to get I think six in New York. Nice, um, like two seventy five in some places. Yeah, and that's your base pay because they justified by like, well, you're getting so much in tips, um, which sometimes is true, but should absolutely it, be an illegal arrangement. Yeah, yeah. like, Same. well, you have no salary. I hope you do well. Today. Right. Yeah, and it gets eaten up by taxes, or there's like weird shit where it's like, uh, if you don't make enough money to make it back up to minimum wage, they then, like, have to pay you it. But it's just like, man, just pay your fucking employees. None of this makes any sense. Right. You should not own a business. I mean, period. Not to sound European, but there just shouldn't be tipping at all. It's (laughs) only good if you have... the correct amount. It's literally only good if you have my job, specifically. (laughs) Yes. Because I can kind of cheat and make tons of extra money. Jake is now Mr. Two Damn Dollar Bills because of this wrong, but... Yeah. Jose Andres wants to put him in jail. I mean, if you're under the table, you're under the table. You know, not that you're I probably, know too much about that. But you're probably blowing a guy down there. <laughs> but Hello. you should have the same base pay because <clears throat> tips are dependent on who and how many people come into your restaurant. If you get one asshole, then you're not going to eat that week, basically. Um, and yeah, if you own a business... You should be prepared to pay people enough money to live off of, which is why it's just absurd that we keep having this conversation like, well, I'm going to have to cut into costs about my business. Like, well, you shouldn't have a business if you can't afford to pay your employees. Fuck right off. Um, And Jose Andres obviously can afford this. He's a multimillionaire. Um, And he is vehemently opposed to uh, this initiative 
in D.C., which would uh, just make the minimum wage standard for everybody. This was passed by referendum popularly in 2018 in D.C., and then it had to be kicked to the city council, and they just voted it down. They're just like, we're not going to do this because, uh, you know, they trotted out a couple, like, weird examples of people who... um, uh, said, oh, this wouldn't work for me. A lot of business owners, obviously. I don't understand, though. If it's already passed by referendum, aren't they just in charge of we do, do not doing actually, it then? <laughs> like, live in a democracy, you know? Yeah. They could just not do shit. It's a vibe-based political system. And right. the vibes were not with it. But since that time, there has been... It is not bussing. <laughs> no cap. <laughs> Since that time, the composition of the city council has changed, and it looks like it will. I mean, it has to go up for a vote again, uh, a general election vote, and then it um, is going to be kicked back to the council again, and this council looks like it will pass it, uh, barring anything unexpected. But um, Jose Andres is trying to say that this is a slippery slope. This is going to lead to, like, price inflation. And uh, one of his restaurants, this is uh, on The Lever, news.com um they're like he does humanitarian work um but the idea is so in favor of helping refugees and immigrants is a server at his restaurant how can you be that pro-immigrant and be opposed to raising wages for the many immigrants that work for your company doesn't add up so people are he's he's like saying yeah let people in open i don't know if he's saying open borders but he's like you know uh, we should be more compassionate about immigration. Let them in so that I can exploit them in my restaurants. Right. Right. It makes sense to me. I would like more immigrants to come work at La Favelle or whatever <laughs> spot I'm opening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this guy's running around. He's making documentaries. He's like opening restaurants in Dubai or whatever, uh, but just refuses to pay uh, his workers a living wage. I have a cheese distillery. I'm trying to function with only Eastern Europeans who are fleeing their homes. You always hear that argument from small, like mom and pop businesses, and it like it it makes it just makes more sense when they say it. It's mm-hmm. still bullshit. Like, right, still right. fuck you. You shouldn't own a restaurant. Yeah. But if you're opening restaurants in Dubai and you have a restaurant called like Seven with an umlaut on <laughs> it, like, the fanciest <laughs> part of town, like fuck you. You have the money. The yeah. world's one and only Seven themed restaurant. Yeah. From well, the movie about the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah. Your food comes in a box. <laughs> what's in the box yeah um, here's the thing about the seven restaurant you never know what's in the box so you go up front you play a fat flat fee whatever comes in that box you gotta eat it it's made by immigrants <laughs> it's made by immigrants you're in the commercial <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta try it it's made by immigrants they left their home um yeah but uh Oh, I think I said my entire point. Never mind, I'm done. Well, talking. yeah, only with, uh, one thing I want to add quickly is like, this is also, I mean, it, there's dollars and cents aspect to it, but this is also a control thing because if you're a tipped worker, you have to, I mean, the saying the customer is always right, obviously we all think that's bullshit, but if you're relying on tips for your income, you have to pretend like you think that. You really do. Like, because, I mean, you can only say fuck off to so many people before you're not, getting enough money like you people are tyrants and yeah. if your weight if your livelihood depends on them being nice to you right you have to go out of your way to to placate them for absolutely to, ridiculous yeah, things not, not, not to mention like even like there's that's just one layer of it you're you're laboring under that and then also this the general like thing that applies when you work for anyone anywhere which is that if they're if they complain to your boss you could just get fired so you're mm-hmm. like 
It's a double thing. You have to save and invest your rudeness capital. Right. And Jose Andres does not want his workers, his tip workers, to be able to know that they have that solid base pay. Yeah. That's what he's really worried about. He wants fucking indentured servants running around feeling like they're the serfs of him and his customers. This is a tricky issue because, like, when you work for tips, often it's easy to convince, like, people who work for tips not to support this sort of thing because every once in a while someone does have the good shifts where they, you know, end up making bank and you get paid in cash. So it feels like a lot more money than it is. And like you, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's just capitalism just by design. If you're the one making all the fat stacks on Saturday night or whatever, you kind of look at this and go, well, this would hurt me. And it's like, there's ways around that though. You could pay people more on the busy shifts and stuff like that out of the boss's pocket, you know? Yeah. Um, the sort of stuff is also really funny to me because like, they raised the minimum wage, I think, in Seattle or something like that years ago, and it was, like, fine, but they managed to um, fabricate all these stories that they feed to, like, libertarians and stuff, and there's just all these, like, fat guys on the internet that, like, when, when this stuff comes up, they, they get very catastrophic and say, like, man, all, all my favorite restaurants got shut down, you know, it's, it's, it's communism coming to America, and it's just always, like, a spaghetti restaurant, and they're, like, you know, putting their flag at half-mast and shedding a tear because, like, <laughs> the cheese stick factory got shut down or whatever. First they came for Applebee's, and I said nothing, <laughs> even though I fucking love Applebee's. <laughs> yeah. But, A, it doesn't happen, and, B, if it does, yeah, you couldn't, they couldn't afford to fucking stay open. Fuck them. A better restaurant will come along that'll pay its workers better. Uh, fuck them. Um, <laughs> that's it. We are, we're out of time because everybody's going to work. So oh, yeah. let's plug. Starting with Anders Lee. Anders, what do you got up the pipe? Uh, at Anders Lee on Twitter, check out my stack in which I have like a, a part one of a counterfactual about the uh, Brest-Litovsk agreement, if it didn't happen. Part um, one. I got part one, which is the bad possibilities, and then I'm going to have part two, which is a little more fun, dropping Ooh. quite soon. Also, check out our Patreon. we got a lot of fun, interesting eps there, including one about um, the anti-World War II movement, which I think is a very uh, fun sort of uh, look into uh, American history. Yeah. Fun episode, patreon.com slash poddamnamerica. Um, you can find me on twitter.com at Patak Test Kitchen. That's P-T-A-K, Test Kitchen. And come to my next comedy show, October 22nd at Caveat at 7, Game Boys. I fucked up and overbooked the lineup, so it's too good, and now Damn. I need all of you to come. So go to that. I'm going to put the ticket link in the description. I also have a new podcast where I read Quora's with Jeremy Kaplowitz. That's called Quarators. I have to tell you about it. It just launched. Okay, Jake. Uh, listen to my other podcast, Why You Mad, at Feral Jokes on Everything. Um, uh, we have merch at, for sale at poddamnamerica.bigcartel.com if you want a shirt or something or a poster. Uh, I'm having a Pokrov feast at my apartment on the 14th of October, which if you correctly follow the Julian calendar, which you should if you are a proper medieval catholic like myself uh you know that pokrov is on the 14th and not the first which Mm. would be if you follow the gregorian calendar like modern people but you know i'm you know i unlike some people i actually believe in our lord and savior jesus christ thank you 
He's that's Catholic Catholicism, right? Yeah, yes, that's Jesus Christ is Catholicism. <laughs> oh, he's hella in there. Yeah, I was thinking about Judaism. Okay, uh, no, I'm serious. I love God and the Lord, and um, it's very yeah, Apocryph is important to me. I'll be making it a bunch of pierogies or something. We all love the Lord here, and that's what this whole show is about. That is that it, is why we changed the, the the word God to Pod, and that's what we say. And every every at the end of every episode, we also say it is finished. It is finished. Mm-hmm.